today is a brand new day. And you have a choice to start transforming your life. Because when you commit to find the keys to unlock your true potential, you will unleash your superhuman powers. If you want to discover how to crush self-doubt, master productivity, bend time, accelerate your learning and more, you need to join us today because this is the Superhuman Playbook Podcast. Friends, welcome to the world of miracles. Hey, superhumans, welcome back to the Superhuman Playbook Podcast. This week's superhuman guest probably needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one anyway. He is a serial entrepreneur, an angel investor, an author, course creator, more recently a father, the host of the award-winning Superhuman Academy podcast, the founder of Superhuman Academy. His name's Jonathan Levy. You probably know who he is if you're listening to this, uh, and this podcast wouldn't exist if it weren't for him. Uh, so we have a lot of gratitude to Jonathan. I'm super excited to chat with him today. Our conversation uh, went in several interesting directions. Uh, he's been on a lot of podcasts, hosted 300 episodes himself, and been interviewed another at least 150 times. So we tried to explore some new areas of his life. We started out talking about uh, his upbringing how he struggled in school, a story he's shared many times, but also digging into how he overcame those struggles and the role that grit played in his life and how that came from his family history. We talk about how he used super learning to get his third citizenship, which is a really neat story. And we talked about his plans for the future. Needless to say, I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. I know I enjoyed recording it. So without further ado, Jonathan Levy. Hey, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Colin, it is my pleasure and congratulations on launching the show. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, thanks. It's been a it's been a long time coming, so I'm really excited. Yeah, I feel like at this point, better you than me. Um, <laughs> talk to me in 300 yeah, episodes. Sure. Oh, yeah. Well, and I still, I think podcasting is an amazing thing, but it's like uh, I was, talk about lifestyle design. I was, I was saying to my wife, because I rescheduled on you, I'm going to admit, right here in front of the whole audience <laughs> that uh, I rescheduled on you twice because fatherhood and baby and bath time and all these other things. And I was like, can you imagine if I were starting the Superhuman Academy podcast today and doing all these recordings I used to do at 7, 8, 9 p.m.? So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for you and also <laughs> happy that I'm not you. <laughs> yep. Well, you've done your time. Totally, totally. Yeah, so like we were we were chatting about a little bit earlier, um, you've been on, I don't know, 150 podcasts or something like this at this point. You've hosted a good 300 episodes yourself, mm -hmm. and so at this point, you've got a ton of podcast material out there. And uh, you know, in some ways, I was I felt a little under pressure. It's like, oh, can we top all of those? <laughs> but then at the same time, I think it does um, it does give us some freedom. We were talking about since we've already kind of covered everything in the universe at this point. Um, oh man, I'm sure there's much more. <laughs> we haven't done too much on quantum. <laughs> yeah, well, it's going to be above my head. So <laughs> might, might as well. That one. But yeah, I think it, it gives us a cool opportunity because um, 
I feel like I can just ask the questions that I want to ask and we can talk maybe a little bit more about the, the personal side of things. I would love that. We can, we can dig into super learning and other stuff like that as well, but uh, I'd love that. I'd love that. I'm doing a lot of personal these days. So cool. Well, let's jump right into it. Um, I did want to start somewhere where, you know, I haven't really heard a lot about the very beginning of your story. I've heard a little bit about the school side of things as it relates to super Mm -hmm. learning, but you know, every story has a beginning and I thought it'd be cool to hear more about yours. Yeah. Well, so I was a really happy kid. How far back do you want me to go? I guess is the question. (laughs) As far back as you want. Yeah. I was a really, really happy kid uh, and inquisitive and creative and joyous uh, until I wasn't. And that's when, you know, I struggled with school kind of pretty early on. I struggled and, and just couldn't sit still, couldn't pay attention, was the class clown. And that was all fine and well and good also until it wasn't. And along about middle school is when it started not being, oh, you know, well, he's just, you know, the class clown. It started being like, wait, this is actually a real problem. Like this kid is not performing. And throughout middle school, my all my self-esteem was really hampered, not just by academic performance, but by social performance, athletic performance. It felt like other kids were blossoming and learning and becoming, and I was not. And I didn't have anything that I could be proud of. I dabbled here and there, but I wasn't good at anything. Uh, and I think that to this day is is like really uh, deeply ingrained into my identity. I, I was speaking yesterday with like a, a counselor and coach and therapeutic, uh, I guess, spiritual guide that I work with sometimes. And he said, like, your biggest fear and trauma in life is the fear of mediocrity. And it's mm-hmm. completely true. It's completely true. Uh, and I have no tolerance for mediocrity because I know what it feels like. And I came from there. Uh, so I went through a number of very, very rough years uh, in middle school. And in high school, I, thank God, discovered two things. I discovered one, Ritalin, which allowed me not to be smarter. I still had to work way harder than other kids, but it allowed me at least to sit still in my bedroom at night and catch up with all the things that I did not understand that were happening in the classroom. And I would come home three o'clock, lock my door, come out at six for a quick dinner and I'd go to bed at 11. And I was, I mean, I just busted my ass and worked harder than everyone else because I didn't get it. I wasn't the kid who raised his hand and answered the questions. Um, So that was one thing that I discovered that was amazing. And the other is I really came into my own as an entrepreneur and discovered that there was something that I was good at and it was creating new things. I didn't play so well in other people's, you know, frameworks, but I was really good at creating new things and I'd gotten bullied a lot of uh, middle school for starting my own businesses that never, you know, never succeeded. And they were silly, like little web design business, little DJ business, little custom, you know, craft products business. And they all failed. But then I doubled down and really started uh, coming into my own as an entrepreneur. And I, I built a business and the business grew. And and I kind of realized that I, I, I always like to say, and I don't want to spend too, too much time on this, but I think there were a couple different stages of my evolution out of low self-esteem and really self-hatred because there were points in my life that I really hated myself, hated everything about myself. And the first stage was self-appreciation and confidence through accomplishment. And that allowed me to kind of pu- pull myself out of the ditch of really hating myself was being able to go David Goggins calls this, I recently read his book and it was phenomenal, can't hurt me. He calls it the cookie jar. 
Like whenever you have a tough moment, you dig into that cookie jar and you soothe yourself. And so my cookie jar was, well, I did build a, a successful business. And then as I started getting more confidence, my, my grades improved. Well, I did get that A one time in physics. And you know what? I, I did do okay on the sports field that one time. And so I started building confidence through accomplishments. And then only many, many years later would I realize that there is a much deeper level, and we can get into this later, of uh, confidence and self-love. But for the longest time, it was driven through accomplishments. So I think many people, probably everyone listening to the show, uh, hopefully, if I've touched your life in some way, has heard the rest of the story. You know, I made it through college by the skin of my teeth, uh, you know, working harder and running a business and juggling and and then I realized in business school that my old tricks weren't going to work because in business school, it's all about the networking and the going out. So I wasn't going to be able to lock myself in my bedroom and just be antisocial. Uh, so I needed to find a way to close the gaps. And that's where super learning came in. From super learning came my understanding that I think that we are not fixed in our capabilities. And I think I knew that, but I realized just to what extent we are neuroplastic and to what extent there are real world superhero skills that you can learn. And from there, I've been on a journey now, maybe more in becoming a superhuman father and husband, but on a journey of discovering, you know, what does it look like if I go on a spiritual journey to discover kind of superhuman awareness? And what does it look like if I want to become superhuman physically fit? And, uh, and that's kind of my MO is, uh, as my guide and counselor would say, I am deathly afraid of mediocrity. <laughs> well, I think in, in some ways, hopefully that's, that's served you and it's served everybody that's been, been touched by that's what he says. The work yeah, you've I, done. I think, yeah. I think we all have trauma. I've come to realize we all have trauma and it's, it's one of my 30 secrets of adulthood is we all have trauma. What and how much and in what way is the luck of the draw? Because one person's trauma can turn them into a horrible, you know, violent person and another. I'm very lucky that my trauma has led me to help people and not hurt them. So. Yeah, for sure. I do want to, want to jump into the, the early career, especially just, you know, something mm -hmm. that relates to where I'm at, but I was really interested to go back even further. Um, I believe you are, are you a triple citizen? I am. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to hear more about like the family background and, you know, yeah, I don't know very many sure. people who are triple citizens, so I'm sure there's something. Yeah. It's an there. interesting loophole that I actually owe also to super learning because Okay, so I'll break it down. My father's Israeli, moved to the US to go to university and never left. Decided to get a job, to repay his you know, student loans and stuff like that, and then just kind of went with it uh, and, and married my mom, who's an American citizen, uh, granddaughter of Holocaust refugees. So I was born with American citizenship and Israeli citizenship. I actually did not know that I had Israeli citizenship till I was 18 years old and they stopped me at the border when I was coming to visit family. And I was alone. It was, I think, my first time coming into the country alone because I was meeting my parents. And uh, they're like, where's your Israeli passport? I was like, I don't have one. And I, I just envisioned right there, I knew very little about Israeli society you know, having only traveled with my parents and them doing all the talking for me. But I saw like right there, them taking me in handcuffs and like putting me in the army <laughs> and I was going to serve three years. And I just, I thought I was going to, like, I thought it was the end of the world, but I discovered that I have this citizenship 
Um, and then when I moved here, I moved here really just pursuing a, a happier life and a culture that I felt more in line with, more in sync with, and also a slower pace. I think people who know me know that like I, it's, I'm easily influenced and especially so by greatness and by ambition. And I, I fundamentally believe that ambition is like everything else on the planet. You need some, but too much will kill you. Mm. It's true of water and it's true of arsenic. And I think it's true of ambition. And when I was living in Silicon Valley, I it's too easy to want to be something that you're not. And it's too easy to try to pursue happiness through accomplishment for me. And I think for a lot of people in general who are leaving Silicon Valley for Austin, Texas, or for Miami, or for a lot of other places that uh, allow you to be judged by the content of your character and not uh, your crunchbase.com profile. <laughs> so so I left and, and came uh, to Israel and discovered along the way, I remember when I lived in France for business school, I had to pay like 300 or 400 euros for a four-month residency permit. And I remember thinking to myself like, oh, if only, you know, I'd had EU citizenship, I could have lived there for free. And uh, so I started digging into kind of the German law, which is really awesome because they have it all available online in English, which is super cool. And I started digging into like this this whole idea of repatriation of citizens. And, and there's a law in Germany that says that no German citizen can have three citizenships. And there's one exception. And the exception is Article 116. Don't quote me on that because this was 10 years ago. But I'm pretty sure it's Article 116. And it's very specific years in which if your citizenship was taken away, but you did not, your being in this case, my grandmother, but you did not seek refugee status in another country and you were not naturalized between this date and this date and this date. And it just so happened through a very bizarre kind of uh, string of events that my grandmother fled Germany in 1933. And if she had led, if she had fled six months earlier, I wouldn't be able to get the passport. She went to London and the way she got there was not as a refugee, but rather as an au pair. So she was never given citizenship there. If that had been done differently, it, this, again, I'm doing this all from memory. So if anyone is an expert in German constitutional law, feel free to send me an email and I may have forgotten the details. But if that had been ob uh, obtained differently, like her brother, his descendants are not able to get German citizenship because he came on a kinder transport and was a refugee because he was uh, nine years old at the time. Uh, so I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't have been able. And then she got to the US and a certain amount of time passed before she was given US citizenship and it was outside the window. So it's like a crazy series of events. Uh, and if I, we're not sure if my son's gonna be able to get German citizenship, but through a crazy series of events and very carefully reading and studying the German law after 1990, which is when this, this law was reformed, uh, I was able to get three passports, um, which, which is meaningful to me because I, I grew up with three cultures at home. So my mom is very German American and there, you know, there, there are words that I don't know in English, like the thing that you put under the pot. I don't know what you call it. Like, I don't know what you call it. Cause we just called it an undersetzen. I honestly, I'm uh, not sure what that's called either. 
Yeah, it's like it's not a pot holder because that's what you hold right. the pot with. It's the thing you put under. So anyway, under sets in. And I grew up speaking Hebrew with my father, although not nearly, nearly as well as I do today. Uh, and then obviously growing up in America. So that's yeah. so fascinating. Can you tell us more about that? What was it like to grow up with with those three different intersecting cultures? It's interesting because on the one hand, my best friend, his father was an Italian American immigrant. I think. I was very fortunate in that I was not the only kid on the block who was the firstborn. Uh, and I went to a school that was 66% Asian. Most of the kids were first generation born in the US. Uh, so I didn't feel like an outsider in that way. I was one of the only Jewish kids in my school. I think there were maybe five of us, 10 of us, maybe out of 400. So that was interesting. But when I look back, what's what's remarkable to me is how little I felt that that was a big deal. Like now I live in the Middle East and I understand how much of a big deal is made, uh, unrightfully so, about religion. And then I'm like, my best, one of my best, best friends in preschool was Muslim. And it like never, it never occurred to me even to ask him, like, I think I probably asked him, why are you not eating lunch? But then he went, oh, it's Ramadan. And I was like, okay. And then, <laughs> so what are you doing after school? Can we play with your bunny rabbits? You know, what's remarkable is how I think the the community that I came from made that such a not big deal. Um, so that was really cool. Uh, and I think it gave me a flavor. And this is something I really want to instill in my own children. And my wife and I talk about this because she got a different mentality. Her family comes from very Zionist roots uh, her grandparents literally with their own hands built this country, helped refugees off the boat, like built the roads and the houses. There are still to this day buildings in downtown Haifa with my wife's last name on them. Like, So she was always raised with this very nationalistic Israel focus. This is where we live and this is our home. And I was always raised with a there's a whole world out there and there's Europe and, you know, your grandparents did business in Europe and your great grandparents and on the other side did business in Persia. And so it, I came up with this very international mindset and with zero fear whatsoever of just stepping onto a plane and landing somewhere. I think I get that from my father. Like he came to the United States with, it's such a cliche story, but with literally nothing in his pocket, all he knew is that he'd been admitted to Napa Valley College. He didn't have an apartment. He didn't have anywhere to stay and he didn't have money. And he like figured out his way and is still to this day at 70, almost 78 years old, you know, figuring out his way, strange man in a strange land. Um, and, you know, I've been able to do that. I've been very fortunate in my life. The first time I stepped foot in Singapore was, you know, the day I got there to move in and, and start school. Uh, hopped on a plane and just went to Thailand. First time I was ever there, I just lived there for a month. And I've traveled throughout East Africa, Asia, and, and I'm blessed that I feel at home everywhere, which is really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. The, the word that's coming to mind when I'm listening to your family history and also your story is grit. Like I, when I hear this story of you going through school and really struggling and then starting a couple businesses, which failed and yet continuing to persist until you succeeded, yep. 
do you think that you have a lot of grit? Do you think that comes from your background? Yes. Uh, grit is something, I don't want to make this a podcast about religion or anything, but I, I have a theory that I've witnessed that I think people who face persecution, whether it's you know the black community, the Jewish community, the LGBT community, I think persecution is a horrible thing, but there is value that it instills in a people or a group of people. Um, and, and that value could be something as simple as we look after one another, or that value could be something as simple as, you know, we have to work a little bit harder than everyone else. And you see this, it, it's, I don't think it's unique to a particular ideology. I'm not saying like, you know, Jews and, and black people are more, no, like if you see Christians who are persecuted in Muslim countries, they thrive. And if you see Jews who are, who are persecuted, they thrive. Uh, and that's not to say that we should all have a healthy helping of persecution, but I think that that's something, you know, I studied sociology and C. Wright Mills would say that a person's life is the intersection of their history and their biography. So your biography, Colin, that person that you met or the parents that you were blessed to be born to, that's a big part of you, but it's also your history, your personal history and your community's history, your people's history, it's all in there. It's like DNA, right? It's so complex. I got a, a hefty helping of grit. Uh, my family was relatively well off back in Germany and lost everything. I mean, we have to this day pictures of the house and I don't know that I'll ever be able to afford a house like my great grandfather bought for his family. I mean, it's a incredible and they had businesses and all kinds of stuff and lost everything um my family in iran were not i mean they they barely got by because they weren't allowed to work certain jobs white collar jobs so they got by and then they came to israel and they had nothing and because you know, no country is perfect and their skin was brown they were told you should just go be farmers and kind of sent out into the field Having lived in the inner city in Tehran, they knew nothing about agriculture, but they're like, you'll figure it out. You brown people are good in the good in the fields. And you, you know, once in a while we'll send someone from some uh, government authority to explain to you, you know, how often to water your plants. They figured out, you know, and, and my dad lived like in a field, in a house the size of this room with three other siblings till he was like 19 years old or 18, wow. I guess, and went to the military. Wild. Yeah. So uh, a, a whole lot of grit, a whole lot of grit. And I'm really grateful for those lessons. I think one thing my parents did really well is parents have a tendency to try and correct their experiences. You know, a father who grew up not having enough to eat will over kind of lavish their children with everything they ever want. And my parents did a good job of not doing that. Like they, they, they corrected the kind of injustices of their upbringing, but not overcorrected. I love that. That's a, that's a really good way to say it. I think that's important. Um, I did want to talk more about that. I would call it maybe like a transitional period where you went from really struggling in school to all mm -hmm. of a sudden starting to see some success. And that started to change the way that you think, you know, Personally, I'm, you know, a 24 year old entrepreneur. 
I've had some success. I think a lot of that is from secondhand helping of grit, maybe from you. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> well, uh, I really appreciate that. But, you know, I, I know a lot of people who want that kind of lifestyle. They, they, you know, we call them entrepreneurs, people who yep. they want to be entrepreneurs, but they don't know how and, you know, can't blame them. It's, it's not something that really comes with a handbook per se. So yeah. Can you tell me more about that time and, and how you persisted, how you figured it out, what you did and what your mindset was like at that time? Yeah. So I came up with a methodology. It's funny. Like today I, I throw out these, like, I came up with a new thing and, and you get early access to them as one of our certified <laughs> coaches. Like I came up with this new tool or I have this new idea. Um, but I came up with this framework. I guess I would call it a mental model. But back then I didn't know what a mental model is. I still barely understand the, the whole concept. But, and the mental model was if my life were a report card with a hundred or a thousand subjects and everything was a line item on that report card from how good of a uh, friend I am, I mean, at the time I wasn't a father, to how good of a physics student I am, to how good of an athlete I am, to how good of a son I am, to you know, how good am I with computers? Would I be proud of the results on that report card? And I realized like looking back, this is a really harsh way to look at your life, like grading yourself on absolutely everything. And, and that doesn't mean I actually made out the report card, but it was this mental model shift of like, people stress so much about their report cards, whether it's your quarterly reviewer at your job or your literal report card in school. But there's so many more criteria, you know, what are your grades, so to speak? And, and for me at the time, being a struggling student and, and finally deciding that I didn't want to live the kind of life that I was going to live if I was a C student for the rest of my life, just knowing that I, I wouldn't get the places I wanted to go. Um, I wanted a degree. I wanted a master's degree in business because I, business was the only thing and entrepreneurship was the only thing I was or thought I was good at at the time. So um, being so focused on that, it, it really made me think and open my eyes and say like, I need to be the best that I can be in every possible way. I want to touch a little bit on what you said regarding entrepreneurship and there not being a handbook. There is a handbook. Uh, I highly recommend everyone read. Technically the, the handbook is, uh, the startup owner's manual. Don't read that because it's, uh, it's incredibly dense. One of his students, a guy named Eric Reese, you've probably heard the book, but a guy named Eric Reese took his course at Stanford and turned it into a book that's actually readable. It's called The Lean Startup. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's mostly used in tech circles, but that process exactly mimics every single one of the businesses that I've done that have been successful, whether it's tech, whether it's content creation. And the idea is really simple. You test things simply, you fail a lot and you fail fast and you fail in kind of small ways instead of big ways. Um, entrepreneurship is kind of like, you know, trying to stab in the dark and you're never going to make it on the first stab. You got to, you got to kind of like stab around and find that pinata. And the faster you can do that with less windup and with less money wasted and less time wasted, if you have a methodology for failing fast, and I'm using failure, that term very loosely. Uh, if, if you have fear of failure, which I've only recently discovered is a thing because I never had 
because I was at the lowest point in my life when I started failing. So what's another failure? Uh, the same spiritual guide of mine yesterday told me, he's like, you need to understand that other people have fear of failure because you have none of it. And it's true, uh, but that can be trained first off. Uh, and coming back to what I said, large tangent, um, if you have fear of failure and me telling you fail a lot and fail fast, switch out the word failure for hitting a dead end. You're going to hit a lot of dead ends. You're going to try a lot of different things, right? And this is true of any endeavor. I mean, Colin, when you started coaching, you would talk to people and, and you would go about your consultations in a certain way and your conversion rate to clients was lower than it is today. And today you know exactly how to support someone to make the right decision for them. You know which clients are right for you. It took a lot of, of pain, failure, quote unquote, to get there. And that's true right. of every business and every enterprise. So I always tell people, if you want to start something, just try a lot of stuff and iterate very fast. Like when I see someone hustling and saying like, oh, I got a few of my friends together and I coordinated this group and together we're doing this and we're buying these things. And then, you know, it's really not scalable, but we're in my parents' garage, we're repainting them and we're selling them for 50 bucks more. Like, yeah, that's cool. Do small stuff that doesn't cost a lot of money and iterate. Um, though not everyone is born to be an entrepreneur and thank God for that because entrepreneurs like myself could not survive without people who are not meant to be entrepreneurs and, and support true. our dreams and visions. And realizing that has been one of the big awakenings of uh, my last two years uh, with just this idea of unique ability and embracing the fact that there is someone out there who's who just loves, I'm going to use a, an extreme example and I want people to know I'm, I have no negative connotation with this. Like this isn't a judgment statement, but there are people out there who just, who love to clean. It makes them super happy to go into a house and see a family that's stressed out. My housekeeper is this way. Like she comes in and she's part of the family and she knows that when she comes, our stress level is X. And when she leaves and our house is tidy and the baby's toys are all put away, like she brings so much joy into our lives and she loves cleaning. She loves it. It brings her joy. At least from what I can gather, she hums while she does it, you know? So an understanding, like there's no judgment around that. There's no judgment that there are some people who are not meant to be entrepreneurs. There's no judgment that there are some people who are born to be, you know, the, the lawyer working in the absolute most boring possible compliance of, you know, technical specifications of concrete. Like there's, there's a human out there for everything. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That's something I've been really trying to learn recently. Um, yep. I know when I was getting started on my, my journey with entrepreneurship, <clears throat> I was overwhelmed because I felt like I had to get an A in every <laughs> item yep. on that report card. I had to figure out everything. And I was like, well, hey, I'm a, I'm a super learner, so I can figure it out. I'll learn everything there is to know yeah. about this topic and I'll be amazing at everything and I'll do it all. <laughs> yeah. And at some point I realized, you know, even if maybe technically I could get good at almost everything in that I yep. needed to, doesn't mean totally. I should. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> mean it's I couldn't it. agree more. I couldn't agree more. And Dan Sullivan says this and, and he's a lifelong learner. 
But he says, if you spend your entire life trying to improve your weaknesses, you're going to end up with a lot of pretty strong weaknesses. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's still going to be weaknesses. Um, Whereas if you spend your entire, and and this doesn't mean be a, um, what is the term? A specialist or? Yeah, don't be a a complete specialist because the world favors generalists. Exactly. But... It, you know, so if you're a programmer, learn front end, learn back end, learn Rails, l- learn some UI UX. But if you're a programmer, and you you know you're not super great at leadership, and you don't enjoy it, don't learn leadership. Be super happy to be you know the best damn programmer you can be, and don't you don't you don't have to be the C- CTO. Um. And that's been an interesting thing for me to realize as well is like, I don't like managing. I'm happy to lead. I don't want to manage. I hate managing. No judgment for people who want to manage. Thank God that there are people who do want to manage uh, and that I can hire them. (laughs) But um, I I think the only thing where the rubber meets the road for me, where I contrast that statement is when I enjoy learning things. I'm never going to be a concert pianist, Colin. I've accepted this. I have the long fingers, but I'm about... 30 years too late in my <laughs> piano playing. So I, you're right. I probably, if I decided this is it full time, I'm going to, you know, do whatever it takes. I'm going to study eight hours a day. Like I might be able in 10 years from now to go on stage at the local performing arts center and play a concert. I don't want to, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't learn piano because I love it and I enjoy it. And I think that's for people like you and I, that's a, it's a hard thing. And it's one of these things that I've had to learn and adapt to is being okay with that gray area. And this is a struggle I have. My wife yesterday told me, she's like, you're not very, you know, in passing. I said, yeah, well, it kind of needs to be somewhere in the middle. And she's like, Jonathan, you're not exactly a somewhere in the middle kind of person, but it's true. Like little by little, it radiates out from this and that I understand, like, I'll never be a concert pianist. I'm never going to fool anybody that I'm a native Russian speaker, but I enjoy these things and they enrich my life to learn them and to grow and to develop them. Whereas I don't enjoy learning programming. So I'm not going to learn programming. (laughs) Right. That's something I I've, I've learned and I've been trying to share with people that I work with too, is one of the main components of super learning or learning generally is learning what not to learn or what you shouldn't spend your time learning. You know, you can, if you want to triple your reading speed, uh, learn to identify the third of the book that you actually need to read. There you go. (laughs) That's also so true. Wow. That's a really good point. You should do a lecture on that and we should put it in the masterclass because yeah, maybe so (laughs) it's, it's so true. And also, you know, coming back to this idea of unique ability, which is a game changer, I think. And I recommend anyone read, you know, any of Dan Sullivan's stuff around unique ability, but it's this idea. Number one, even if you're excellent at something, doesn't mean it's your unique ability. Something you're excellent at, but hate doing, like I am freaking excellent at podcasting, but I don't want to do it anymore. You know, at least I think I am. Uh, (laughs) In any case, so acknowledging that and, and where who not, and where this unique ability idea hits the the rubber hits the road is this idea of like if you are doing things that you're not good at, you're taking that away from someone else who could be doing that. And also 
I think one of the most powerful, you know, I talk about exponential skills a lot. One of the most exponential skills I've discovered in the last three years is the skill of knowing when to say, I'm not the right person to be doing this. It's not a, I'm not good at this because you could be good at this. Uh, but knowing when to say, you know what? This isn't my area of focus. I don't want this to be my area of focus and finding the right person to do it. Dan Sullivan calls this who, not how. I think it's one of the most brilliant things. Knowing when to how is great. And, and you should know when to how. If you're like, you know what? It's time and I am that programmer and I see that there's a lot of opportunities for me if I also learn some UX, UI, you know, interface design and I'm gonna challenge myself, that's a how. But when you go, you know what? I'm a programmer and uh, I need to motivate my team and we need to do a retreat and I'm dreading planning that retreat. There are companies you can hire, you know, that will just lead a retreat for you. And so I think that's a, it's a, it's an exponential skill, knowing how and when to find the right who. Say that sentence three times fast, huh? Yeah. I think it's great. I think it is fair to say that you're a good podcaster. I mean, you did, I think the Superhuman Academy podcast was in the top half a percent globally, I think. Really? Yeah. That's what it says on listen notes last time I checked. So that's, I think it's fair to say (laughs) that's, I didn't know that. That's awesome. I did not know that. Yep. Yep. So, um, yeah, back to the, (laughs) we went on a really long tangent I think it was a super good tangent. Um, but to the welcome to podcasting. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I think the best podcasts are the ones that have the, the flexibility to run all over the 100%, 100%. place. Uh, but just personally, I, I wanted to know more about the very beginning of your career when you were failing, when you started to succeed. How did that happen? Like, how did you actually find success there? And then once you did, what did it yeah. mean to you? How did it feel? And, and what changed? It definitely didn't happen overnight. And I tried a lot of things. And in the early stages, I tried those things for a long time. And that I think was the mistake. Like, it's so funny because I feel like every piece of advice I could give you, I'm like, but not all the way, you know, it's like, well, don't completely not learn the things that you don't enjoy, but you know, don't, don't bear down. And the same is true here. Like when I say, you know, fail fast, there's, there's this right, happy medium right? And there were a lot of things that I was trying to do that I wasn't really all that good at. I had a web design business. I was okay at it, but I like plugged away at that thing for like a year. And even after I had achieved success with, I I had a car parts business that I did when I was 16 and it grew to be a multi-million dollar business and Inc. 5,000. And it, it was, it was the biggest early accomplishment of my life. Even after that, I would start businesses and persist, like work on them for eight months with no sign of progress. And uh, I think it's it's funny, like you have these guys like Gary Vee doing this hustle porn of like, you know, if you don't hate your life, you're not working hard enough, you don't want it hard enough. Um, it's like, that's not ever how it actually works. Like all the successful companies, look at like Mark Zuckerberg, like tried this uh, like hacking into thing and I'm trying this like illegal file sharing thing and I'm trying this other thing and I, I tried this hot or not and none of those things really work. So after a few weeks, I just gave up on them and I tried something new and that's something new worked, right? Most people don't know this, but like Steve Jobs was doing 15 different things, not really 15, 
but he had like a little business where they would sell these blue boxes that hacked into the phone. And it, he was thinking about selling those. Like they hacked payphones so you could get free calls. And then they happened upon another thing because they were trying all kinds of stuff. So um, it didn't happen overnight to answer your question. And I, I iterated and I tried stuff. And really what ended up happening is I followed my passion. I was really excited about modifying cars. I was 16, to be fair. So I was really excited about modifying cars and kind of the self-expression and the creativity. I was always raised to work with my hands a lot. So I loved like getting under the hood of a car and taking pieces apart. And and I saw a market opportunity and really just started, Tim Ferriss says this and I agree, like start by scratching your own itch because at least then you know there's people like you out there. And like there wasn't, there wasn't availability of parts and People didn't have like toll-free phone numbers or chat or any of that stuff back then. Like I remember the company that most people were buying their stuff from didn't even post their prices online. It was like, call us, we have this. And it's like, you have to call them with your credit card and like they would ship it when they wanted to ship it because the dad of the you know guy who owned the company was like so rich. The kid was didn't really do it for money and it was insane. So I was like, one night I went home and like threw up a website I, I taught myself HTML so I could like throw up a website and like put some prices online and like it started with a few products and little by little it snowballed through iteration. Um, and that really, I started to, first off, I, I sunk myself into it in my work because I started seeing success and started realizing like, oh, I'm not a complete idiot, you know? Uh, and then And then it really gave me a sense of pride and self-esteem and and pretty soon like the same kids who were bullying me were asking me for help which was you know an amazing self-esteem booster ego booster really not self-esteem ego booster um and yeah it's it's hard to articulate i mean this is now my goodness uh 18 years ago that that business started taking off so pretty wild so for those out there who maybe want to do something similar, uh, maybe they want to be entrepreneurs, do they have to have grit? I mean, is if they are missing that component, yeah. can they do it? Well, not necessarily. Uh, research actually shows that companies with two to three founders are more successful. I've almost always started the businesses myself, and then I'll bring in a partner if I need recently that's changed with my new, new business. Um, but you know, if you don't have the grit and you're the subject matter expert, but you still want to be an entrepreneur, that's a who, not a how problem. Mm. Find yourself a charismatic Steve jobs type. Not everyone is Steve jobs, of course, but find yourself someone with grit who doesn't have the technical skills that you have and, and pair up. Right. People always make the comparison that, it, uh, Starting a business is like a marriage. It totally is. You find someone who compliments you. Um, I got really, really lucky when I started my first business. It grew faster than I knew what to do with, and I got accepted to college because of it. And I was like, oh, I, I can't run this thing by myself anymore. So I found someone. Who, I found two people, one who had a way better understanding of logistics and how you ship tens of thousands of widgets around the world. Uh, and number two, 
someone who was just had a, a work ethic and was happy to let me be out front talking and making a lot of noise. And he would work behind the scenes and like make sure that orders went out on time, make sure that, you know, our, our products were good enough and work with the customers. And so like we complemented each other really, really well. I love that. I think it kind of <laughs> unintentionally, perhaps we just kind of tied a bow on that, uh, yeah. that idea wrapped it all around in a circle. That's great. Totally. Totally. Well, we're coming up on time and I don't want to miss out on the opportunity to ask what's next for Jonathan Levy. Oh, that is the question of the day and month and year. Uh, so right now what I'm working on is I started a new business called Coffee. Uh, what we do, our website is uh, choosecoffee.io. What we do is we work with businesses like Superhuman Academy, although Superhuman Academy is not yet a customer. Uh, but what we do is we help them with their high ticket sales and offers. Uh, so if you're a business that, you know, has a high ticket coaching, you sell online courses for X, but then on the back end, there's a high ticket coaching like we have at Superhuman Academy. We have wonderful coaches like Colin and over a dozen other people all over the world who coach. Um, but coaching isn't a big enough part of the business to hire a full-time sales team to call every customer, check in, learn about the customer. Uh, so we're essentially a fractional sales team or a sales team as a service. We connect to people's uh, CRM. We download their lead data and then we work only the most appropriate leads, which is really cool. Uh, and the only reason that I've co-founded this business, because what do I know about sales, is I wanted to learn more about tech integrations and I wanted to do the other side of the funnels of getting the pieces of problem solving to work. So I work on that one or two days a week and Superhuman Academy is almost entirely autonomous without me, which is so cool. We have customers all over the world learning from our programs. I dip in once every few months, create new content, create a new course to keep our members happy, to keep our coaches happy, to keep our employees happy. And then uh, Leslie runs most of the business today, which is a huge accomplishment for her. It's a huge accomplishment for me that I've been able to just kind of back away. Uh, and I'm really proud of being able to do that. And I'm really proud that we're able to continue making an impact without, you know, pursuing growth for growth's sake. Like we're out there, we're shipping books every day to people. People are learning the content. So that's awesome. To answer your question, what's next? Uh, I want to be in the climate change space. I want to, I'm, I'm really interested in green energy. I'm really, really interested in carbon capture. I was very interested in uh, lab meat, clean meat, as they like to call it. I kind of lost interest in the space a little bit. I made some investments, but uh, right now I'm really, really interested in green tech and I'm reading, super learning, really, everything I can about it. Uh, reading every book I can get my hands on, reading scientific papers, and just trying to answer this one question so I'm actually, what's difficult about this I'm realizing now as I speak is I'm going about it the other way, right? I'm not solving my own problem mm -hmm. and I'm not working on something from experience. Every other business I've ever started has been like, I see an opportunity and I'm going to see if I can turn that opportunity into a business. Here, what's so challenging for me, and I'm enjoying the challenge, is there is a problem and I don't know where the specific opportunity for me is. Not being an engineer, not being an environmental uh, lobbyist, not being a politician, which as it turns out is actually where the majority of, of the innovation needs to happen is in politics, laws, uh, 
economics. So just trying to figure out, and, and if anyone has any ideas how I can bring my skill set, uh, I have some other skills besides creating YouTube videos, but bring my skill sets to this industry. And uh, I think one thing that I'm very, very blessed and fortunate is I don't need to make money off of it uh, because I have other businesses and I've invested relatively well. Uh, so I'm blessed thanks to people, you know, like all of you on the podcast who continue purchasing our products and supporting our coaches and all this other wonderful stuff uh, and just keep this superhuman academy growing and thriving and learning. And uh, so I can do this and I can come to this as a volunteer, as a neophyte and as a complete um, humbled, just humbled, which is amazing. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. To be honest with you, I really don't know. But uh, I'm quite confident that I'll find something good. The universe has a way of putting you exactly where you need to be. Uh, and so I know that although I've been researching this for months and months and months, when the right thing pops up into the universe, I'm sure that I will find it. I have no doubt that you will. Well, I think we should probably wrap it up there. This has been awesome. I've loved this conversation. Oh, my pleasure. Sure Likewise. The listeners will as well. Um, is there anything else that you want to leave like to, to uh, rip off of the Superhuman Academy podcast? What's the one message, the key takeaway that you leave with our listeners? Yeah, I, it's a little bit of a long one, but I want to encourage people. I want to remind people the reason why we pursue our best selves, right? And it's not just for the report card. That's a step along the journey. But at the end of the day, the only reason to do anything is to create improvement in your life or the lives of others around you, for the people that you love, to make your life better or their lives better, uh, or people in need, or just people in general, or animals. I don't really care. But at the end of the day, it is to improve life and make things better. There's so much doom and gloom and sadness and fear and anxiety in the world right now. And in general, all the time, the only reason we do all of these things is to make the world just marginally better for something, someone, somewhere. Uh, so I want everyone to just keep sight of that and remember that that's the why. The why is not it doesn't end at, I want to be the best lawyer I can be, or it doesn't end at, I want to be as strong and as fit as I can be. And it doesn't end at, I want to know as much as I can about this subject. It's all of those things so that I can. Well, I know that you've made a huge positive impact in my life, and I'm sure you've made a huge positive impact, probably millions of lives at this point. Uh, I know that was the, the original goal of Superhuman Academy was to touch a million lives. It was. So I think we've probably made it there. Probably. Probably, probably close at this point. At this so point. I'm uh, so grateful to you. Looking forward to seeing where the universe takes you and uh, hope I can be along for more of the ride. Awesome, my friend. Likewise, and thank you for all that you do to keep the mission alive and, and just help 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 people. For sure. Well, talk to you soon. Take care, my friend.